This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest Review Show. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. Pitchdmm.com. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. Crystal Palace celebrated a second successive win at Old Trafford and the best ever start to a top flight season, ending the game 3-1 winners against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's beleaguered Manchester United. We'll look back at the match in all its glory. Back of the Nest. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. PitchDMM.com So on the show today, we have me, Chris Hambling. We have Mike Scott. Hello. And Chris Clark. Hello. Hey. Uh, So coming up on the show, we'll be talking about Roy's decision not to start with Eze and Batshuayi and the fact we kept to that same 4-4-2 formation against a top six opponent. Top six, I should have done the inverted commas, but I'm holding an iPad, so it's very difficult. But we'll, we'll, we'll stick with that for now. Uh, we'll be talking about some of the key moments from the game itself, discussing player performance. Uh, we'll be giving our choices and, and looking at yours indeed for the man of the match. Uh, we'll cover a selection of your comments and questions as we try to do every single week. And to finish up, uh, we'll be looking ahead at what we might be expecting from the next week. And that's talking about transfers and a very, very short look ahead to the game against Everton. Previewing the preview, as I like to call it. So just a few things to point you in the direction of first on all the social media apps. We are Back of the Nest. Just search for Back of the Nest and you'll find us on there. Uh, if you listen to the audio version of this or the podcast, do rate us on your podcast app. Rate and review. And it's got to be five stars. Any less than five stars is quite frankly offensive. And, you know, no one wants real reviews. We just want five stars and we don't care what you write. We just want to be as easy to find at the top of that list as possible. So more and more people can listen and engage with what we do. Uh, for those of you watching on video, this is, of course, redundant, but we also do a video podcast for the review show this uh, this season, uh, which DR is lovingly putting together and uh, I'm putting out onto YouTube. So make sure you like and subscribe on YouTube as well. Mysteriously, we're back of the nest on YouTube. Uh, and obviously the benefit of this, uh, you can see how disinterested Mike is for a large proportion of the show. Uh, you can see Chris Clark in all his glory. Um, 
a weak beard from Chris, but we'll see how that progresses through the course of the year. I'm not happy with it right now. He's trimmed it right down. But he is at least donning a Palace shirt, which is a brave choice, Chris. Brave. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's have a quick chat amongst ourselves before we get going. Mike, you've, you've put some notes in here. It says your first ever all plant barbecue. Uh, does that yeah. include guests? Guests were all plants as well, or have I misinterpreted? Well, I, it, it obviously wasn't me hosting. Uh, before we get into that, just just two two quick points. One, uh, there'll be no use of the word roiball in this episode, um, please. And if it is, please beep it out. And secondly, the reason there's no DR is because he said he expects that everyone is absolutely sick of his voice. So, um, yeah, two things there. Um, yeah, I went to Balky yesterday. Um, from do you, do you know that? Do you know those vegans that are just kind of preachy? So he mm. made he made he made. He made it plant-based for everyone, regardless of whether they were meat eaters or not. Um, so, yeah, uh, my other half, who is Spanish and, and very much into her meat, was none too impressed. Um, our other mate was, obviously, it was less than six people, you know, keeping the not breaking the law. The other one, Palace fan, usually in B block. He was very polite, said it was nice, but clearly hated it. So, yeah. <laughs> What was uh, what was the sort of star of the vegan barbecue? What would you say was the the top item? Uh, well, so he went. I've never tried them before. He went for the um, the Richmond uh, vegan range, you know, uh, the mm. famous sausage people. Um, uh, not not quite as good as Linda McCartney for me, but um, you know, they did they did some steaks and stuff. I'm sure it's nothing like a real steak. Um, yeah, it was. He, he, he put in some serious effort, and he and he showed us the Palace game at the same time. So. Fair play. Well, that's good, but they didn't bring any Marks and Spencers, no chicken Kievs, which is, of course, the finest vegan item in existence. No, sorry, man. Sorry. Well, look, it's okay. I wasn't there, so I wasn't disappointed. But, you know, next time, I mean, I don't know if you could barbecue a, a, a no chicken Kiev. Yeah, anyway, that's, that's, you probably can. You've also put here new album excitement. Is that your new album? Yeah, um, I am quite excited. It's uh, Monday week now, so I've, I'm having to do. Because we're not bothering with a record label this time. Um, yeah, but one of one of my many bands. Um, we've got yeah our second album coming out, and we're going to do it ourselves. So it probably means I'm going to be hassling loads of websites and stuff to get us to put a little bit of promotion in the next few days. So it's 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 more panic than excitement, I think. Actually, I worded so that poorly. For the vast number of listeners that we have, um, many of whom I'm sure have tremendous musical taste. What, what could they expect from your band? Which of your many bands is this? This is a band called Lay It On The Line. So mm. if, you, if, you like, if you like both an obsession with death and miserableness and brutal hardcore, um, it's probably, probably the band for you. If you don't, it's most definitely not the band for you. Can um, I say, if I was to look at the Palace Squad and think who facially would, would enjoy that type of music the most, I would go Jordan Ayew. Jordan Ayew. Yeah, I I'd like to think Joel Ward because deep down he he likes to mix up his um, his god his god loving with a bit of Satanism as well. So <laughs> Scott Can, Dan not, all the way. He, Scott Dan looks so disturbed. I mean, I'm just just trying to think whether or not we need to clarify because Mike, you said that with a degree of certainty about Joel Ward that he you said he likes. You didn't say I think he likes. Uh, you can you happy to stick with that? Uh, what the the god part or the Satan part? The the Satan part, I would say. Yeah, no, I, I, no, I, I think it it would it would it's wishful thinking, isn't it? Right. I think I think he's pretty wedded to the Lord, to be honest. 
well, each to their own. Uh, talking of Absolutely. which, hi, Chris Clark, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, Hambo. Um, don't, been... I don't know what that means, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was quite a, quite a leap. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a, an interesting few months since I've been on the show, and of course this is my first appearance on video, uh, much to everyone's uh, dis. <laughs> dissatisfaction i'm sure um so yeah lots of stuff been going on um some of which i put in the dock um so 4th of uh july we were allowed back into pubs which everyone knows i like um and so i i set myself the the target of going the same as you get all those sad middle-aged bastards which i'm definitely not um who try and go to all of the 92 english football league grounds i decided to try and set myself the target of going to 92 pubs within the borough of Croydon, within 92 days of being allowed back into them. Um, we're on day 78, and I'm on pub 77 so far. So I think I'm doing all right. Do you think it would be quite funny if you were on 91 pubs in 91 days and there was a lockdown? And Honestly, I think that's a racing certainty. I mean, it's absolutely clear that Boris Johnson fucking hates me and is going to do that, let's be honest. Well, there we go. Um, it's a listen of all the things that uh, that people have decided to do that I've I've heard in terms of you know just just focusing on something and delivering on it. Chris, you're inspiring. Um, you know, I can't imagine that that kind of commitment. Um, <laughs> you can to come to the applauded. celebration at the ninety second. Yeah, I mean, you notice I. I I mean, you kindly added me to your kind of what seems to be what I thought was a, a social group and appears to be a, a collection of quite severe alcoholics, which I haven't quite really entered into that those discussions because of the, the, the sheer dependency there seems to be on alcohol in those conversations. Um, they all seem absolutely lovely people, I have to say, but I think you have taken it to a new level. And I, and I just wanted to take a moment to applaud you before we get on with the show. Thank you. I'll take that. Thanks. Well, I'll, you know, I'll do a little bit of sharing, but obviously we do have to get on with things very, very quickly. Um, I have been traumatised by spiders. I, I don't know what's going on in the world at the moment. Um, you know, we've got obviously COVID, we've got all sorts of stuff going on. and, and But every damn day, they, they, they just get bigger and bigger. And one walked into my living room yesterday, just stood in the middle of my, my, my lounge and just pretty much stared me down. And I got my usual spider jar to collect it. And it almost didn't fit in the jar, it's so big. So I don't quite know what's happening with the spider population. I feel that they might have somehow taken over from humans. But, um, but, have but you that, seen well, the that's... film The Mist, Hambo? I haven't, no. Okay, well, so, see that and come back to me. Because <laughs> uh, it sounds like you're living in the mist right now. <laughs> okay, I will, uh, I, will. I will seek that one out. I haven't got much else to do. Um, I've got a couple of weeks off coming soon. So The Mist involves spiders, right? Because I... From the title, it sounds like it involves a mist. I'm not going to give it away, but it's got the single most depressing ending to any film, including the boy in the striped pajamas that I've ever seen. So, <laughs> okay, good wow. news. Uh, and the only th- other thing I wanted to share is if you haven't been uh, joining us on our watch alongs, um, Dear and I did a watch along for the Man United game. Uh, they upload to YouTube. Obviously, they go out live on YouTube, but they're also uploaded afterwards, and you can revisit the game uh, if, if you want to do so. There's a moment relatively late on where things are starting to get a little bit tense, where I asked DR a fairly innocuous question uh, about the, the decision to re-award the penalty uh, because De Gea's, De Gea's come off his line. Uh, and DR was very, very excited about what was going on the pitch and 
went to answer my question normally, but because of his excitement, was unable to control the volume. And he ended up screaming at me, just saying the words, rules are rules. And um, I really struggled to keep it get together for a good 15 minutes after that. And it's well worth a watch because, I, yeah, it's hard to explain just how funny it was. But um, his brain broke, like, properly around the second goal. He's in the background now. He can't speak on on the show. Uh, but he knows it's true. Um, he, he was absolutely shell-shocked by the Palace performance. And I think that's as good a way as any to start talking about that performance. So, as we often do, we like to talk about the, the lineup and the tactics first and foremost. Quite often we're talking about where it went wrong, but it's all about where it went right this time. And, um, you know, the, the the attention when the lineup was announced, uh, gentlemen, was, of course, that uh, Eberetri Eze and Mishi Batshuayi were not selected. And um, straight away, people were on Roy's case. You know, it's it's once again, it's a... It's a example of Roy not picking the younger players or not wanting to change a team being set in his ways but obviously we know with the benefit of hindsight it was absolutely the right call but I do want to really sort of start us off by just getting your feelings did, did you actually feel I mean I you know to, to lead us in I expected that to happen but I actually also expected us to play a, like a 4-5-1 or 4-3-3 maybe just to go back to last season and be a bit more defensive and try and try and counter a bit more and kind of really hand that initiative to Man United. But we didn't see that at all. Did you expect that? I'll ask you first, Mike. Did you expect that when you saw the lineup, when you saw what Roy had done? You know, any frustration crept in from you? I didn't expect the 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 four five one. I, I I sort of expected him to do an identical thing to what he did against Southampton. Um I know there was a big discussion last week about not sticking to a winning formula, but um, I, I kind of, yeah, it was more an argument, wasn't it? Um, I kind of expected that he would. Um, I've got in my head that he's probably going to have easy on the bench for a little while now. He tends to bed players in fairly slowly. Um, so I wasn't that surprised. And in terms of Batshuayi, I, I just I can't see how he'd get in above IU in the starting eleven, to be honest with you. I mean, that's me loving the Ghanaian Prince, but I don't, I don't really understand how he'd start. So I, I was I was happy enough of it. I was just, I was slightly worried that um, we would go back to exactly what you're talking about, the 4-5-1-4-3-3 hybrid um, as the game progressed, if we weren't doing very well. And Chris, it was possibly the wrong lineup to actually have this conversation about the selections because you would never drop, are you, Mike? And of course, Chris, you would never drop Jeffrey Schlup. So uh, I, I would, I would assume pre pre game, you were probably happy to see as they remain on the bench for the time being. Yeah, I, I was happy with those choices. I, I, I personally think there may come a point where you know the certain certain matches, it's the right thing to put Batshuayi on in place of Ayu, but. I was happy with that as a starting setup. I wasn't absolutely clear on what the setup exactly was going to be. I thought maybe four three three. But on the other hand, um, you know, I was I was confident about the game coming into it. Um, a lot of people were obviously taken by surprise, and I certainly was taken by surprise by the speed with which we started the game. But on the other hand, you know, I had stuck several bets on the basis of a two nil win, so I, I got the margin of victory right, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, as as I said, for me, the four five one or the four three three looked like. I mean, you, you talked about it. We might drop back and do that during the course of the game if we went badly, Mike. And you know, you you feared it as well. And for me, it genuinely was a fear. You know, this is 
when we start to think about Roy and the things that he's doing, I think, you know, this this game, he didn't do a thing wrong. It absolutely, he and the coaching staff got this bang on. The tactics were spot on. The intensity was right. The little intricacies, the, the sort of creative thinking to get, you know, to, to get in behind on a regular basis. The backup in the wide areas where we've looked a little bit susceptible in, in pre-season and, and in particular in the first game against Southampton, we did brilliantly to change all those things. And you, you could speak so glowingly about Roy and the coaching staff off, off the back of this game. But I do have to temper that with the fact that, first of all, not, not we have to recognise that last week wasn't a great performance against Southampton. But we also have to recognise the fact that this system change was available last year. So I'm not going to get carried away. But what I am going to say is when you look at what we what we saw against United in, in this particular game, it's so very different to what we did last year. And although we got the win at Old Trafford last year, Roy himself in the in the post-game comments talked about how much better it was than that game. Uh, and, and he's bang on. He's absolutely bang on. It was much better. And you look at the players that played, it, it, there wasn't any, you know, we had people on the bench and we could talk about the impact of that later on for sure. But essentially it was the personnel that he had available last year just put into a better system. And that, I suppose, I don't want to try and get into a negative too quickly here, but that's the frustrating thing. That's the thing that got to me when we were when we got one point in eight games in, in the restart and when we were poor before that. It was the fact that we didn't try and change anything. And we've just seen the first two games of this season, in particular this fantastic performance against Man United, that there were different ways of doing things. And um, I have to say, hand on heart, so happy to see it and, and long may it continue. And and if this is to be Roy's last season, there's a real chance for him going out with a with a with a flourish if we can keep playing with this intensity and, and this quality. Well, look, you've, you've touched on the the negatives there. Let's hit the positives quickly, and then um, I definitely have a, a little rant about his post match interview because it was long and it was telling. Um, and for me, it's a bit worrying. But um, we we'll start start with the good things. Um, you've you've put in the notes here next. Wilfred Skipper um, and Neil. Neil Ogil- Ogilvy, sorry, Ogilvy. sorry. Uh, you must watch the post-match interview of Wilfred Zaha after yesterday's win over Man United. The guy really is captain material, inspiring. So Wilfred's captain, it it shocked me. I got to say, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I um, I just needed something for a comment later on, and so I've just realised that everyone could see me doing that on the video. <laughs> um, yeah, good times, good times. Um, I have to say, I haven't seen Wilf's post-match comments yet. I, I've read something that he talked about in terms of how he talked about uh, his message before the players went out on the pitch, which was all about backing ourselves and being brave. And I've got to say, that that message coming from Wilf, I think almost him saying that out loud probably inspired himself as much as everybody else because he did exactly that in that game, probably more than he has done for quite a while. You know, he backed his own ability he was so much more intelligent and measured with what he does. And I think the sort of it almost overnight gave him kind of an enhanced maturity that we've kind of been looking for for Wilf as he enters these peak years of his career. You know, we've always known him to be quite a volatile person and, you know, emotional, and that's where he gets his edge a lot of the time. But that captain's armband, uh, it, we've seen it in the past, haven't we? You go back to Peter Taylor making Beckham captain for England. And at the time... Everyone's like, "What the hell are you doing, making this guy captain?" You know, there was the in the fresh in the memory was his uh, petulance against Argentina, and then you know he wasn't really that kind of 
person that you expected to to go and lead a, a team. But you know, he rose to that occasion and became one of the one of the greatest England captains of all time. And so I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm equating it to an extreme example, but Zaha really did respond to that. You know, he took that responsibility, and nothing more so than what we'll talk about with the um with the, with the third goal, the killer goal, which I thought was all about him really. Um, but that's you know that's my view. I didn't really see it coming, but you know I've known I've known from things that I've heard in the past that Wilf is quite an influential character in the dressing room. So that might surprise a few people, but for him to go out and, and, and captain like that and to, to effectively influence the game the way he did, it, it was a real surprise for me. Well, he's very softly spoken, but you know, the, the quality of what he said in a really quite short interview, I was really impressed with. Um, and he did go into detail as well about um, his role in taking and allowing, making the decision about who was taking the penalty. He said, you know, Jordan Ayew had won the penalty. Um, so it was absolutely right that he should take it. But after missing it, Roy obviously had his input and he said he talked about that in his interview. But the fact that the captain then steps up, takes it and you know, it was a fantastic penalty, let's be fair. He, you know, I, I think he demonstrated what it meant to him and you could see that in the scenes after the game as well. And obviously, Mike, with the knives out a little bit for with Luca or in, in some quarters, already the, the calls I've seen for, for Wilf to remain captain. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, I don't think we're going to convince him to stay. I think his heart's set on if there's an option for you know, Champions League, even potentially Europa League football somewhere else, I still think, you know, he's going to push to leave. And I don't think the captaincy changes that. But is there a case to say if we if Wilf performs like that with the captain's armband, it's dangerous to take it off him? Well, look, he, he alluded to in his post-match interview, as did Andros with his, um, that they've been given a new lease of life from, well, they say new signings, but they, they basically name-checked Eze. Um so uh, that, to me, seems more important to him than the captaincy. Um, as for saying, you know, get rid of Luca, I mean, it's a bit premature. It's been one game. Um, as, I mean, Luca won it as captain last year. Um, I, I don't think you take a captain's armband away from a player lightly. You know, it happened to Scott Dan, and I think it had quite a negative effect. Um, I don't personally mind. Um, if, if Wilk keeps it, great. Um, I mean, and if he goes, he goes great. But um, it did seem to have a new lease of life from certainly this season from Eze. And if, you know, say Ben Rama came, um, I think that would be much more influential in his decision. I think the most influential thing in his decision would be no one bidding for him. But, uh, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Oh, well, let's, let's get into what you were talking about in a bit more detail in terms of Roy's post-match comments. Um, and, that, and that's a little bit. I mean, we, we've got some notes in our in our show doc, and it's something that I was talking about on the back of the nest chat with with Patrick earlier on. And it's you know it goes back to the you know talking about the positives for Roy, the start to the season, the fact that it's brilliant. And and I'm sure Chris, you can maybe present a slightly alternate view to what Mike and I are going to potentially talk about here. Highly likely. Um, but he talked about in particular that spell of one win, sorry, one point out of eight games from. Um, you know, in, in the restart. And he said, you know, when he was talking about the fact, he was asked about how well we played against Manchester United. And he said, well, I thought we played, thought we played really well in that spell last season. And 
that isn't true, is it? <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Um, and, and, it, and it is concerning because it still shows a, a kind of stubbornness in terms of the mindset of, you know, there was nothing wrong with what we did back then. So I'm looking at what we're doing now and, and thinking about how great it is we've seen a change, how wise the signings that have come in have been uh, in terms of putting pressure on other people for their places um, and, and and the tactical shift. I think how positive it is. But then we're then, then just tempered by the fact that the manager is still fairly adamant that this wasn't the right thing to do earlier. It was right now, but it's not. It wasn't right last year when we got once lost seven on the bounce, bounce, and then scraped a draw. At the you know in the last little bit we did last season. Yes, we had injuries. Yes, we had losses of form, but we did nothing to change it. And I suppose, Mike, that's that's effectively where we are. I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, he he suggested in his post match that um, there's very little difference between the eight games during lockdown and what's been happening now. Um, so if he doesn't know the difference of what's happened, it's it's great we've got six points. It's great we played well and we really did. I mean, that was one of the best Premier League performances. Okay, United were off, off the pace, but um, that was a properly excellent game. But the, the guy interviewing him kept trying to sort of bring him away to say, you know, what's changed? And he said, well, you know, I, I, I think we were unlucky before. Um, there's a big difference between playing this sort of four-five-one-four-three-three thing with Ben Teke and Ayu and, and Zahar on the left to what's happening now. And my worry is he's alluding to the fact in that interview that once, say, Ben Teke is available, he's going to go back to it because he thinks it's as an effective uh, a, a match tactic as, as what's happening now. And when I think back to when we did play the, the false nines, four-four-two, you know, when we beat Chelsea after seven defeats in a row before, whenever it was 2017, um, he did quite quickly get abandoned the idea. Um, so I, I'm not sure. I, I started thinking about Pardew and thought he went on these f- sort of really streaky five wins, then four losses, which is what kind of happened to us last season. Is that, is that what's going to happen again this season? That, that's, that, that's why I'm tempering my excitement. Back of the Nest, sponsored by Pitch Sport. Fantime videos, choose your match day squad, post match ratings, and much more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, yeah, I'm just, I'll, I'll jump in there and say, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. And, and the thing about the Pardew streakiness was absolutely one of the things I was going to mention because 
I do wonder if that's what it is. And I do think that um, Hodgson in his interview said a number of things. I mean, he said, because um, he was asked about starting the game faster. And he said, well, the plan is always to start fast. And that, that betrays one thing that we've always said, which is that, you know, he's clearly very stubborn and sticks to a certain way of playing. So the plan's always the same. Interesting to note. Um, secondly, he, he said um, in response to a question about um, us looking more threatening, he said, well, I thought we looked threatening in those games before. It was just that we weren't converting the chances. Now, in the vast majority of those games, I don't remember us actually creating many chances. That was partly the problem. It wasn't just that we weren't taking them. It was that we literally weren't creating the chances for anyone to score. So that's another obvious concern about his diagnosis. Um, having said that, I do think that you know we have to acknowledge that if you do think back to that that streaky run, we did have a really good performance against Chelsea, where I think, frankly, we were very unfortunate not to come away with at least a draw, if not three points, from that game. Um, so I, I think he's got a point about that. But let's let's focus on today and let's focus on the fact that it's six points. He is very stubborn about not changing a winning team. And let's hope that that's actually where we end up, is you know, with a streaky run that where he sticks to it. It's the, it's the stubbornness that kind of covers both sides of this, this, whole, this whole debate, really, that... You know, he he still refuses to admit that there were any errors made last year, and I think it's interesting you point out the uh, the creation of chances because you're bang on, really. We weren't creating anything like like enough chances. We were one of the lowest chance creators in the Premier League, and if you, I think in the calendar year it was even worse in terms of the stats. So, not worth bringing it out now because we want to focus on this season and how well we're doing. So we're not going to delve too far into that. But I think when he, what he was potentially thinking back to was maybe a season before where we were creating a hell of a lot of chances and just weren't putting them away. And he was he was absolutely right about that period. We were playing good football and not getting the results that, that our performances deserved. But that, that wasn't the case for a lot of the calendar year. And as I say, I hope that's just him and his ways. But, you know, the, the evidence is really about what we're look, seeing on the pitch. And we've seen one... Not so great game, but we got a good result and we defended brilliantly against Southampton uh, and, and Guaita dug us out of a hole on a couple of occasions. But we've now seen progression from that to an, an excellent performance against Manchester United and something that we can hold on to and say, there's a change, there's something different. We've been creative, we've been intelligent with what we've done. And as much as Man United you know, will will look at the some of the decisions that went against them. I will also talk about their their reduced preparation time. You know, we played them off the field and, and deserved we you know we could have we could have scored two, three more and, and it wouldn't have been unfair. So I think you know right now things are looking very, very good for us. Um, before we jump into a bit more analysis on the game itself, I did want to take a, a moment and I visited uh, redcafe.net and that was my my home for the reaction. I love, as you know, if you've listened to us for any length of time, I love to go on opposition forums when we beat them and, and just see how they're getting on. Uh, so Sir Anderson, just so you know, he was the first to respond in the in the post-match chat and he said, Ole out. Um, but there were some absolutely amazing comments in there. You've got things like season over already, um, which was which was brilliant. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't get enough of season over after one game. Uh, spend the Sancho money on a centre-back. Restart the season, please. Um, that was good as well. Uh, a better coached team won today. I enjoyed that. Um, and so it's some really good stuff. But there is one in particular that, that I enjoyed dramatically. And it's from a guy who's got the, the, the wonderful name Huge Arse. Um, mm, that's, uh, see what he's done there, yeah. 
And this this kind of resonated with me because um, I was surprised by the selection. And he said, should have started our best 11. Really naive by Ole and uh, did not respect the opposition at all. And I thought that was a really, that's true. You know, in terms of all the hyperbole that I, that I was reading through and very much enjoying, I thought that little kernel of truth was right. I didn't think they showed us enough respect. And that goes back to Ole's comments pre-match where he talked about last season's 2-1 victory as the one in a hundred games that we would lose against Crystal Palace. Hmm. Well, it's now two in two, isn't it, mate? So that, that doesn't really work, does it? I mean, that, unlucky. That, 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 that com- comment half, I, I agree. I don't think they gave Palace enough respect. I don't think Southampton did either. But he did have Pogba and Fernandes like, in the starting 11. It's, it's not like he put out a second 11 or something, is it? Well, like, no. <laughs> but they don't, they, don't, they don't think very highly of Pogba. Um, at all on, on this particular forum. And they they really laid into McTominay. I thought it was their only decent de- defensive midfielder. He was having to do the job of about three players in their in their midfield. So I was amazed they didn't um didn't like him. I agree with them about Dan James. But he yeah, but he's you know to, to back that up, he went on to say Pogba was terrible and someone should do a montage of every touch because he ended up doing something bad with a ball on every occasion. Dan James was woeful, as was McTominay. Just this is the bit that I wanted to highlight. This is the whole point of this. Just fed up at this stage. I might cancel Sky Sports if things don't get better. I only watch United, so no loss, really. Man United fans, everyone. Man United fans. Excellent. Right. Oh, just to let you know, in, in the pub that I was watching it in, um, the um, the United the Surrey United fans um, left before the final whistle. Oh, <laughs> we'll race you back upsetting. to London. <laughs> <laughs> Devastating stuff, Chris. Um, yeah, you just you don't like to hear about that kind of thing at all, no, do you? Definitely not. Um, I'm sure, it was horrible for you to have to witness. Gutted. Anyway, let's talk about the game a little bit. We were excellent. We were brilliant. Yes, we delved into a little bit of negativity on Roy, but it's important to have balance because the reason for that there was a lot of stuff on social media straight away, people popping up saying, "Where are all the Roy haters now?" Well, let's not get into that. We don't have to argue in extremes. We just have a bit of a bit of context. But all of that said, everything that we said up until this point doesn't change the fact we were brilliant in this game. We were absolutely fantastic. And Mike, you've asked the first question: Why are we now getting crosses in and scoring? What's happened? What's changed? I mean, I was hoping that you two could tell me because I got no idea. Um, <laughs> Slop looks like a world beater, um, and yeah. and the fact <laughs> I, I I can't think of that many times where we've had Slop on the left and Zahar in the middle, and I, I don't know how much of it's that, but um, or or if it is just a new a new lease of life that that as he's brought in, or you know, a combination of the two things. I, I've got no idea. I'm hoping you two do. I mean, on the, in terms of the the fact that we're crossing and. and you're absolutely right. It's something that seemed to completely abandon us for long periods of time. And, you know, we talked for ages about our favourite thing to do was to to have Benteke in the starting lineup and then take him off and then start crossing the ball or vice versa, start crossing the ball and then sub Benteke on and immediately stop crossing. That, that, that's been, been our, our MO for quite some time. But, you know, you only have to look at the tactical shift, right? You have to look at now we've got four across the midfield. Yes, they're not orthodox winger. Jeffrey Schluck is not playing as an orthodox winger. Andros Townsend isn't playing as an orthodox winger, but both of them are orthodox wingers, if you like. So whilst they've been asked to do that extra bit, and then they're sometimes you know they're moving inside and getting into central areas, both of them are, are playing like men possessed at the moment. And that's the reason we're getting balls into the box. Andros, last year of his contract, um, you know, 
he's a risk in terms of if you look at the players we're targeting. He's got to be thinking if I want to stay at Palace or you know I want to stay in the Premier League, you know one way one of those two things. You know either either he stays at Palace or or he has to find another club to play at if he's not getting in the Palace team. And let's face it, on last year's form, he's not getting in the Palace team if we make a couple of signings. So he knows he's got to do something, you know, and and signing Eze, who, who we know can step into that side, you know, and, and targeting potentially someone like Ben Rama, who can step in and play on the right. And we were looking at Fraser before, and we know that Wilf can play on the right, and I, you can play on the right. You know, all of a sudden, to stay in that side, he has got to work so hard. And so he's doing the, the right things. He, he's, you know, he's tracking back. He's getting involved in the play more. He's he's pushing himself as hard as he can go. And look at how Jeffrey Schluck played yesterday. It, I'm at, at the time of recording. He, um, you know, at times, you know, because I was, I was doing the watch along, so sometimes talking to, to, to DR, sometimes looking at the screen and what have you, I'd occasionally look up and think it was Zaha dribbling past people and getting to the byline and then suddenly go, oh my God, it's Jeff. <laughs> you know, I've always said about Jeff, Jeffrey Schluck, whenever I've given him stick about the fact that he's not a central midfielder, I've always encountered that with the fact that I want to see him using his strengths, which is direct running at people, using his pace. When he does it, he's a joy to watch and he was absolutely superb. And he was, you know, he was the, the highest rated player on who scored uh, in terms of their match ratings, um, which... You know, I thought Zaha would have, would, have, would have been the runaway winner with that, but Jeff got that in in terms of statistical performance. Esteemed so, company as well, because last week it was Yaroslav Yak. So, well, ex- exactly right. Yeah. Oh dear, Yaroslav Yak plays left back. But Chris, I mean, I've I've gone off on one eulogising about your favourite man there, um, but you're feeling vindicated, I guess. And, and in terms of the crossing, it you know, is that as simple as it is? Do you think in terms of just having those players playing out in wide positions who are having to work hard to stay in that team. Yeah, they they have to fight for their places. That's clearly a major factor. Another is that they've been, you know, I mean, it's always about instructions because, you know, Roy doesn't give freedom to players to just do what they want. So the fact that they weren't playing crosses in before um, was clearly a Roy instruction. And the fact that they now are is presumably, therefore, also a Roy instruction. Interesting, just talking about crosses, though. It's not like um, they're playing high balls in for headers. You know, that these are balls that are intended to land at a player's feet or chest to be controlled and for shots to go in. Um, but, I mean, it was absolutely clear in previous seasons that, you know, to look at, certainly at Schlupp, he had that potential to, to do that. We saw him link up really well. Um, when he was playing on the left-hand side at points when either Van Aanholt wasn't available or even you know on occasion when um, Zaha was playing elsewhere. Um, so he's had that potential and he's, he's clearly you know living up to it, which is great. Um, with regard to Andros, I think fitness and knackeredness is an issue, as is pressure. And I think he, he alluded to that himself in previous interviews, saying you know nobody wants pressure for their, their shirt. And he is absolutely playing out of his skin at the moment. Long may it continue. Indeed, indeed. So I think, uh, Mike, you've also highlighted, um, we've, you've highlighted MacArthur uh, in terms of covering the, the, the defence and also just a general conversation about the defence. And I think it's, you know, it's good that you highlighted that. I think actually both Maccas were, were outstanding in that game. I think it's interesting you picked out MacArthur and I, and I was, you know, my notes, I've picked out McCarthy uh, because they did, 
although they were doing a similar role in, in the way that they were being asked to close space down and shield the um, shield the back line, uh, McCarthy was the one who, who sort of really came out of position a bit more and was putting in the rougher challenges. But you're absolutely right. MacArthur was the one who was, you know, almost at times dropping into that back line to, to, to close the space. And, you know, Man United, when they did threaten, it was all about trying to play clever one-twos in and around the box. And they were always the ones getting a foot in. Uh, and I suppose, it, you know, we kind of almost, we talked about the fact that Gyro got injured, otherwise he probably would have played. We talked about the fact that Luca's on the bench and, Potentially, if you're thinking about a two to start in midfield, you know, with everybody fully fit, would either of them be starting? Um, but on that form, they, they look undroppable. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where Hodgson's probably blindsided us. And I've only put McCarthy down because I I know that uh, McCarthy was going to get a few comments. PD Eagle 84 wanted us to talk about the importance of James McCarthy. Um, so McCarthy was shielding. Um, just in front of the defence, and I think doing uh, doing a pretty sterling job. Um, and I, I think there was a few positional issues with with Joe Ward um, that I noticed. I'm splitting hairs here, but he covered that well. Um, McCarthy again um, doing a similar thing to what he did against Southampton, and I would say that they are currently undroppable because of the fact that it just allows what I think the commentator referred to as our front four. Um, just so much more freedom. Um, they're playing so narrow. So you've got two two players looking up the pitch, two players looking back in midfield. And, it, it, you know, if that works, then great. Then I, I really can't, you know, Luke has looked suspect doing that in the past. Um, it's not necessarily his strength. He's kind of a bit of bit of both of those worlds. So, um, you know, if there's two just happy to shield the defence, then that does allow a lot more for the front four to... to to do what they want to do. So right now I, I wouldn't I wouldn't drop either of them. No, absolutely right. And, and going into that, I mean actually this Chris is just get your your views on the two of them. And in particular we've been asked to talk about McCarthy's importance. A player still linked very much with a with a move away and and there's all sorts of rumours that uh, the Palace are indeed looking at potentially another central midfielder. Obviously prior to Batshuayi being available, Conor Gallagher was going to join. So you know potentially he's, he's also playing for a future there as well, whether that's at Palace or somewhere else. But the importance of, of them two, particularly in this game, how did you view it? Well, I mean, actually, it's, it's interesting because I got a bit frustrated with McCarthy on a couple of occasions where I you know, actually was saying, you know, why on earth is he starting? And I, I know the answer to that is, you know, Luke has not been as fit and hasn't been on form either. And mostly he had a good game. So, um, and MacArthur, you know, absolutely looks, um, you know, back at his best and, you know, it's great to have him. Um, he clearly just bleeds the club and, you know, I'm, I'll be gutted if anything happens in respect of him. But with, with regard to McCarthy, I think we do have a surfeit of players in that role and I'd still be happy to see him move on, to be frank. I know that's going to be controversial with some, but that, that's where I stand. No, and I'm, I'm in a similar boat, really. I've been really pleasantly surprised by by his contribution this season because uh, he was very good against Southampton as well um, but I, you know, I was very dismissive even in the Southampton game Dio and I were dismissive as he was doing something tremendous to uh, to win the ball back and put Townsend in down the right for the for the cross to Zaha but um, you know, it's, it's always good to be proven wrong to a degree um, but in terms of long term 
you know, I, I don't know if he, again, maybe the system suits him better now. I'm not so sure, but there was a long sustained period when he was fit and being selected where he didn't really seem to offer much other than a tiny little bit of aggression and occasionally squaring up to someone, um, which we all enjoy, but it's, it doesn't win you football matches really. But this time out, um, you know, absolutely outstanding against Man United. And, and it leads us into that discussion, Mike, about the defence itself. Um, we've got some questions on a, on some of the, the detail of that later on, I think. So I won't I won't sort of dwell on it too much. But, you know, it is, it is a makeshift defence. We started the game with, you know, in terms of centre-backs, one who was just not fit in terms of Mamasako, uh, and and one who is a central midfielder who, you know, we acknowledge plays at centre back on a fairly regular basis for his country and has played centre back at Premier League level on a number of occasions. So it's not quite as ridiculous as it sounds, but he is excelling there. And you know, Mitchell, you know, we've got to talk about uh, Tyreek Mitchell as well in in that defence because it's just getting better and better with every game. The, the, his contribution in this game, not just defensively, because you know he benefited massively from having Sacco near to him in terms of, def, of defensive performance, because Sacco was talking the whole game to him. But when we were going forward with the ball, you could see he's just got a, he's got a really good eye for a pass. He knows when to play it in behind. He knows when to go down the line. He's got you know in terms of the passing angle, weight of a pass. He knows knows how to hit it. He knows when to pass inside as well, and as, as we saw for the third goal. Um, we're starting to see him really flourish there. Uh, and I was as guilty as any of, of pointing out comparisons to Wan-Bissaka in, uh, in terms of just saying, oh, if we've got a left-footed Wan-Bissaka. And, he, and he's not that, but he could almost could be, you know, you don't want to say too much too soon, but he could be as special, but just in, in, in a, as a very different type of player. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited by it. Sometimes with a wing-back or, or a left or right-sided defender, um, not talking about them is one of the biggest compliments because you know that there was nothing really of note that you noticed because we're watching from the TV. We're not watching live. We only get to follow what the camera people are doing. Um, and the fact that for a large amount of the times he, he wasn't particularly noticeable, um, whereas Wald, you know, did make a couple of mistakes. He let a ball go above him um, and Greenwood was uh, well, a poor header, but probably should have scored. Um, Mitchell, Mitchell did all the right things defensively. But also, I think it was for the the chance that um, IE pulled a save out from um, De Gea for. An absolutely beautiful ball. Just dinked it over a Man United player's head and set set IU off. Um, and I didn't know he had that in his game. Um, and it's, it, it, it is exciting. Um, and it's good to know that there's some serious competition in that role. Um, or if it even is competition, um, and by the time PVA is fully fit, you know he's definitely number two in that position. So um, very pleasantly surprised so far. Yeah, I didn't think that it would be any doubt that when PVA was fit that he would come back in. I thought maybe this season would be the breakthrough th- season for Tyreek Mitchell, but in the sense that he would play maybe 10, 15 games and, and come off the bench a little bit. Um, and, and that would be his breakthrough. Then going into next year, PVA's out of contract. Does he stay? Does he go? You know, then then he gets to stake a claim, and we'd probably have to bring in another left back. But you know, I, I, there there is a strong chance if he keeps improving like this that, as you say, PVA won't get back in. Um, in Chris, in terms of Colin Squire's question, he has said, "Would you keep Kiate at centre back when everybody's back fit?" Uh, and he personally feels that that's his position now, and he's getting better with every game. You think about the centre backs to come in. 
Cahill, Tompkins, uh, Dan coming back in. Anyone else? Have I forgotten anyone? Kelly. Hmm. Kelly, yeah, Kelly's, yep. So if you think about all of those, does Kiate play above all of those for you? No, that's why I'd sell James McCarthy. Because um, you know, I, I think that you know that's a position that Kiyato goes back into, and you know you bring in whether whether it's um, Tompkins or whether it's Cahill, I don't know. Also, Sacco, as we know, and um, uh, Tompkins have both made a glass, so they've both got injuries in them. So we need the depth. Um, so, I'd, but I have to say, with these performances, I, d- I do absolutely take the point. It's it would be very hard to uh, drop. Um, Kiyate from the position or even to move him at the moment because he is looking an absolute beast. I will say one one other thing though, I do want to take issue slightly with um, Mike's criticism of Joel Ward because when when you look at the stats on his performance yesterday um, he had the, the most touches of any Palace player, 49 um, he won 100% of his aerial duels, um, again that's also um, the most of any Palace player um, 87.5% of duels won, um, made seven clearances and four interceptions. That's Those stats are all credit to CPFC analytics on Twitter. Um, but, you know, I, I thought he had a really good game. And, yeah, if he made a couple of mistakes, I think people have prematurely written him off with the arrival of Nathan Ferguson. Excited though I am about that, I think, you know, we're seeing Joel Ward back pretty close to his best. He may not be fast, he may not be flash, but he's a very good defender. I'm not absolutely not writing Joe Ward off, and I'm I'm only splitting hairs because we played so well. Um, if you if you want to look for stuff that isn't just pure positivity for an hour, that's about all you can come up with. Um, and I, I think the only issue he had was positioning. So I mean, the fact that um, he won all his headers, well, in the particular thing with Greenwood, it's because he he wasn't in the right position to win the header. But you know, it was I'm totally splitting hairs, and Joe Ward still had a decent game. Um, in terms of Sacco. Um, actually, earlier in the week, had asked Twitter um, whether he got back into people starting eleven if he's one hundred percent fit. Uh, a few people said, "Well, he's never one hundred percent fit." But generally, it was sort of three quarters of people said no, he wouldn't get into their starting eleven. So um, I was quite surprised by that, and I was fairly happy that he he looked he looked uh, he looked really sharp. Well, Dio and I discussed it, and Dio was um, you know by his own admission, I'm sure, was pretty negative on Sacco before the game. Um, and, and talks about the mistakes that he makes, and, and and I was saying that you know for balance we we know that he does have a mistake in him, but we also know that he's he's good in terms of you know being a ball playing centre back. He's able to play the ball out from from the back, and and at times becomes almost a, a threat because he you know he can start moves off in a way that others can't uh, by by stepping out of the back. And we did see that a couple of times against Man United, but I don't think I you know anyone would have seen that level of performance coming from Sacco. And it is a welcome reminder that a, a motivated, fully fit Mamadou Sacco, in my opinion, is far and away the best centre-back at the club. And in, again, on form, is one of the best centre-backs I've seen at Palace. And it, because of the injuries, it, it's totally understandable that people would have forgotten that or would dispute that. That's just my opinion. But, but he is an outstanding centre-back. Um, and was extremely important for us when we had him on loan and when, initially when we got him as well. So there you go. But we could we could talk probably forever about those. And fortunately, we have covered some ground we were planning to uh, to cover later on. Otherwise, this show would go on for about seventeen hours. But I quickly want to run through some of the the, the match incidents just really to, to, just to acknowledge the goals and uh, and see if we can pick anything out of that worth uh, 
worth talking about, really. But the the opening goal, the one nil. Obviously, we started so 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 well in this game. We've already referenced the fact that we um we haven't traditionally started games particularly well all last season. I think the statistic we just, we scored one goal the entire of last season in the opening fifteen minutes of games. We've already scored two uh, this season, so we've already doubled the amount we scored last season in the opening fifteen minutes of matches. Uh, and it was seven minutes on the clock when we scored this one. And it started, as I was talking about, Sacco stepping a little bit out of defence, playing a ball into Tyreek Mitchell. Mitchell, an absolutely beautiful ball down the line for the run of Jeffrey Schlupp. Uh, that pass shouldn't be underestimated, but nor should the touch from Jeffrey Schlupp either. Initially, you thought, oh, was that a little bit of a handball there? But it was a lovely touch with the top of the chest. Knocks it into his path, steaming down the line, drills the cross across the box. And let's face it, that cross goes the only place it can go for us to score a goal because there's nobody else. No one else is rushing in at the near post. No one else is central at all. And it's only that Andros has gambled at the far post, which to me, completely frankly, doesn't do enough, even when he's on form. But lovely to see him do it in the opening seven minutes. And not just that, what a uh, it made that finish look so simple. He makes it look like just the simplest of tap-ins. But he's at a ridiculous angle. The keeper's there. There's a defender there. He just nonchalantly plays it with his with his weak foot, let's not forget. Uh, I, I cannot say... I mean, first of all, that is a classy goal. If you look at how that goal was built and, and the, the football that we played that early in the game, that is absolute class. And every little moment about it was brilliant. And I, I cannot speak highly enough of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm, I'm, I was so impressed with that goal that I started to choke on air, just on air. There. I mean, it, it's it was a great way for him to cap his what apparently was his 300th uh, league game. So um, fair play. I mean, it, he's he's obviously um, really is a confidence player, and uh, I, I I thought he was criminally underrated in the Southampton game because he at points was the difference and um, he, he kind of was again at certain points against United as well um, really really good to see because again people wrote him off a bit last season and, and you can't write off Andros it's, he's always going to come up with something you don't expect yeah I, I think for me I it's just such a shame that he hasn't performed to the level we know he can you know Deer, again Deer and I were talking that you know actually has he peaked is it kind of, you know, were we seeing the last knockings of Andros Townsend, not just at, at Palace, but as a kind of force in the Premier League? Because, you know, 30 next birthday. Um, and, and and in terms of form, it had been a long while since we'd seen him have, have an absolutely outstanding game. But you're quite right, Mike. Against Southampton, he was extremely influential. Against Man United, absolutely brilliant. You know, he's got a, an assist and a goal already. Um, so it's looking really good for him. And we've talked about it already, whether or not that's the fact that he is in the final year of his contract and he is effectively playing for his future. That could be it. But if that's what it's taken to motivate him, great. I don't mind what it takes. Uh, um, but if Andros is back and back at firing at his best, you know, who knows where we could be this season because that that's a huge bonus and not something that I, that I expected to see. Um, you know, cool. There were a lot of people who said that he'd peaked before he even came uh, to Palace, and you know I, th- that's the thing. I, I, I think you know that the fact that he's he he performed really well for us. Yeah, he had a dry spell last season, but he'd also scored some great goals 
in the first half of that season than the season before. So I think you know we have to be quite mindful of you know the career contribution that he's made at the club. Um, the other thing I'll say is just in terms of the celebration, you know he he was clearly um, while very pleased with his own finish, he was also making it clear that it was a team effort, and he he came across pointing. Um, at Schlupp for the cross. I'm obviously going to take a little bit of credit for the um, you know, Schluppy brilliance there, but also at the same time, you know, make the point, as you say, it was a complete team goal and a really fantastic achievement. I don't know how you, I don't know how you can take credit for it. It's complete. You, you can, I mean, whatever, whatever. You weren't out there, man. You weren't, you weren't no, paying that. I'm a but seer. I mean, talking, that's what it is. Yeah, okay, okay. Talking about Andros's dry spell, we've we've all been there, haven't we? So, um, moving on. Uh, <laughs> There was prior to um, prior to uh, our um, the main the major incident in terms of penalty slash VAR. There was a VAR moment for Man United, and the only reason I bring this up is because they <laughs> they do um, they do bring this up on RedCafe.net. Um, there was one person on there who said they get that penalty and we get denied a Stonewall one. And initially, I thought, what? What was he talking about? What was he? Uh, and it was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was the 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 Pogba um, running into the box, uh, and McCarthy standing on his uh, standing on his boot, and his boot coming off. That one, that was it, wasn't it? What the did, the like, one that wasn't a penalty. The uh, one that wasn't a penalty. Red, yeah. Red Cafe sounds like a very very seedy site. Um, <laughs> that's all I can say. Yeah, I'm not saying how I found it, or what I was looking for, but, okay. um, but... <laughs> we've all had dry spells, right? <laughs> exactly right yeah but um yeah look it, I, I, if i'm being incredibly generous what i would say on the watch along i said it's not a penalty but var are looking at it and they looked at it for long enough for me to start to think it's man united of course they're going to get this of course they are but then you actually start to to kind of look at the logic of it if you give a penalty because someone looking at the ball it's walking backwards and steps on someone's foot. If you give a penalty for that, you're going to be given so many penalties for for all sorts of innocuous uh, comings together. It's just not. It's just not a penalty. And then the thing that was actually given, the foul on Bruno Fernandez. I mean, for once, it probably was a foul because uh, Andros ran across him quite late, and there was a there was a, you know, I think his shorts might have brushed his knee or something, and when obviously that meant him meant he had to spin round and scream in the air like he'd been shot or anything like that, but. I want to use this as a as a moment to start talking a little to talk a little bit about Bruno Fernandes. This is a player who has been lauded as kind of the Man United saviour. Um, you know, they always talk about the massive impact he's had on the Premier League throughout the course of that game. The cameras are on him constantly. You know, it was almost like he could he could they could have followed him off the pitch at halftime, followed him to the toilets and watched him take a shit, and everyone would have been applauding it. It was that it's that bad, and not a word was said. When McCarthy, when when he basically moved away from him with the ball, trod on his toe, like, and he flicked his leg behind his like behind his other leg, span threw his head back in the air and just screamed and like and I just and I've I saw it on Twitter since and I've, I've retweeted it and just just so people can see because there was no focus on it at all. If that had been Wilfred Zaha or any other number of of players at less fashionable clubs, that would have been heralded as one of the worst things that anyone could ever have done in football because it was so obviously trying to you know 
make make a challenge look so much worse than it was. Like an, an innocuous. I, I've I've trod, had my toe trodden on before. I didn't spin around and scream. I mean. The closest I've come to screaming is when you stub a toe, but that's a completely different thing. And we all know a stub toe is one of the worst things that can happen to a human being. But having someone tread on your toe as they're running away from you it doesn't hurt. You know, it's annoying, and you might go, Ugh. but you don't. It, oh, honestly, it just makes me hate him. And he was doing that throughout the entire game. And I just wanted to know. Now I'm calming down a little bit. Did any of you guys pick up on that, or was it just me and my um? Is it my confirmation bias? I mean, I I didn't, but um, when there was a comparison recently about how the Sun and other papers dealt with Harry Maguire's off-field antics compared with Raheem Sterling's, it's no surprise that Fernandez gets treated like that and Zaha gets treated a different way. Is it really? I think I think there's underlying issues at play. Um, I yes. hadn't noticed, and it I'm sure would have really really pissed me off. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it is, but it's not like it's just against Palace either. The guy does it the entire time. Um, I'm enjoying the fact that uh, on the video you are still being focused on, even though you've stopped speaking. Uh, I don't know if Mikey is playing with his dog, perhaps. But there we go, back back to all of us. But um, ah, now it's me again. <laughs> I'm really confused. I don't know. I'm assuming it's still Mikey controlling it, but it could be Dr. Who knows? So let's talk a little bit about our our second goal, the penalty. Um, obviously, we've got to give our full views on that. So to describe what happened, we were breaking well. We broke well throughout the course of the game, of course. Um, I've said course too many times there. Uh, but Townsend played uh, played the ball into Zaha. Uh, Zaha played it forward in a kind of return pass to Townsend, but it ran through to Ayu. Ayu's got through. And on first look, you think, why is he gone with his, uh, with his weaker foot there? Um, but actually looking at it, and I do want to talk about this, He's gone with the outside of his foot to try and lift it over the keeper. And I, I have looked at it probably, because tw- I'm tragically sad, probably 20 times to try and think about the, the angle and the, the angle of loft and the angle towards the goal as to whether or not, if it doesn't actually strike Lindelof's hand, is that going to be a you know a Jordan IU wonder goal? Would we be sitting here talking about the time he didn't even think he was going to shoot and he managed to loft it over with the outside of his foot into the net? Um, and I'm going to go with yes. Yes, he would have scored. And that's why we Hodgson, Hodgson said after the game, he, he thought it would have been a goal if it hadn't have been handballed. So. There you go. I'm agreeing with Roy. And we always like to see that, don't we? Um, but, I mean, look, there, there was no shout for the penalty. That's the first thing I, I want to say on it. Jordan IU doesn't scream that it's, it's hit Lindelof's hand. Um, and to be brutally honest, it's not that unnatural a position for the hand to be in. It looks terrible in slow motion. Because um, it just looks like the hand is sort of too too high. He's not running at a huge amount of pace that he has to really thrust that hand forward and get it to head height or anything like that. So those are the starts things you start to think about. And perhaps you know, with complete bias taken out of it, um, it was a it was a harsh decision. So let's talk about the actual penalty decision first, Chris. It was given a penalty, so therefore it was a penalty. Hooray! But should it have been given? Yes, absolutely. It, it, for me, um, you know, I mean, when when the shot was taken, I actually thought, you know, I saw the way that it ballooned over the goal, and everyone on the table that I was at in the pub was saying, "How on earth has he managed to hit such a weak, soft shot so high up?" And the answer was obviously that actually it had had a deflection off a hand. Um, if if the player wants to 
avoid the ball hitting his hand, then he needs to put it behind his body or in a position where it's not going to strike. Yeah, easy. I mean, I was also ranting about you know how Martin Atkinson was obviously obviously looking for an excuse to not give a penalty to Palace and did everything he could to delay the inevitable. Um, but justice was done, and yeah, obvious penalty for me. Yeah, I've got to say I was incredibly confused when Rashford had taken the shot. Um, it had gone wide, and Dr. and I were talking about how you know how he should have pro- probably closed the shot down. And it was kind of well, what's happening. So we just didn't see it, didn't see any reaction at all. But um, Mike, your your views on it? If, if that had gone against us, you know, and you think about any of our back line, how they would have felt if that had been given against us, is there an argument there to say Chris has got rose tinted glasses on? Yeah, um, I, I think I would have been pretty annoyed if it had happened against us. Um, yes, I have seen, as Chris said, I've seen defenders, you know, do that kind of thing where they put their arms behind their back like a sort of 1920s policeman. Um, and and it, it is a way of stopping it. Um, but I, it's impossible to tell. The, the, the key reaction for me is that I, like you say, didn't didn't even flinch. You know, he, he didn't, it, maybe he didn't see it, but no one called it. So I, I'm shocked, and, and I, I think at the speed that the replays show, it's like you say, it's always going to look way worse than it is in, in in real time, and that's one of the key flaws with replays, I suppose. Indeed, um, in the interest of time, we'll, we'll 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 try and fly through the next few bits and pieces. But I do want to talk about the fact that that penalty was retaken, and again, a massive surprise for me um, to see the, the the play called back. Uh, the penalty from Ayu was atrocious, and and um, you know, thank God he uh, he didn't try and take it again. And it was interesting to hear Roy talk about the fact that you know he shouted from the sidelines and said no, he, you know, and that was from experience that he's had of a player who who simply didn't miss missing one, and then going on to miss the uh, miss a second as well. So completely understandable. But again, I suppose we have to try and talk about whether or not we think that rule makes sense. And I suppose I'm gonna. If you, if you guys have anything to add after I I say this, then then please do. But I think everyone's focusing on the fact that De, De Gea was fractionally off his line, but his starting position is directly on his line. I've seen a multitude of keepers start a pace behind the line, so they have that opportunity to move forward as the ball is being hit. So realistically, he only has to adjust his technique fractionally and his starting position fractionally, for that not to be a problem. So I don't have any sympathy with him at all. And it's interesting seeing Danny Murphy talk about the fact that he didn't care if keepers you know, were a step off the line. It made no difference to him. And, and I, So I understand that angle as well. But for me, for me, it's not like that was a secret rule. You know, this stuff's been communicated that it's going to happen. So uh, you, you think in terms of coaching, in terms of the player themselves, they would have that in their head, right? They're looking to see if I'm going to come off my line. I can make a really simple, tiny adjustment that loads of people have already made anyway, and then this doesn't become a problem. So for me, however unfortunate it might feel, however unfair it might feel, absolutely the right decision has been made there. Anybody else, Scott? Anything yeah, on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, bringing the tone down, bringing up Danny Murphy, fucking hell. Um, I, I've got to say, it's been a bugbear of mine for a long time that um, keepers can come off their lines in the same way as they often have the ball for more than six seconds. It always annoyed me when that was a rule, that kind of stuff as well. Um, it's it's going to be a quick lesson for every goalkeeper this season and we've benefited from it because 
they're all going to get a bollocking come training sessions now to, to not do it again. So we have benefited because it won't keep happening. Um, but it's good that it has because that is properly following the law as it should have happened for the last however many years. It's very easy to fo- that before VAR that could have been followed up and it never was. There's plenty of times, and I know Hennessy's often guilty of it, coming way off his line. Still doesn't save the penalties, but um, it, it 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 annoys me, and I'm glad they picked up on it. So um, yes, excellent. Yeah, agree. With it was both also you. sorry. You go. Okay, totally agree with both of you. And all all I'll say on that is there was also in the Chelsea Liverpool game um, a uh, penalty that was saved uh, by uh, the Liverpool keeper, and there was a review of that. And you know, it sounded like it was possibly going to be um, overturned, and there'd be a retake, but. It wasn't. So they are clearly applying that rule now. And as you say, uh, Mike and, and Hambo, you know, they're going to have to adjust and get used to it. And we've benefited yeah. from it, which is great. And just to mention it again, that was the point in the watch along where DR screamed at me, rules are rules! When he meant to meant to say it in a normal voice because he was excited. <laughs> um, absolutely amazing, amazing stuff. So very quickly, we talked about it a little bit already. Um, we did get pegged back shortly after that in the in the sense that we, we made probably our only real defensive error of the game. And that was the ball coming in from, from our left, Liverpool, uh, Liverpool. Man United's right. And um, they won't like that if they ever hear me talk about that. Um, yeah, and uh, unfortunately it was Kiyate who, who did a bit of an air kick. And as a result, Wardy wasn't set for, for the ball coming through to him. It rebounded off of him. Sacco not anticipating the sort of two problems before him. Uh, ball's under his feet, doesn't quite get a chance to adjust. And it's uh, it's an easy tap-in for, um, as I've put in the notes here, James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek. That's that's who it is, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, he's scored I made that joke United. in the pub and everyone said, who? Ah, oh, man, you, you, what a waste of your time, honestly. They're the ones at fault there. <laughs> I mean, that that is a that is a reference for the kids, that, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm up, I'm up with a kid, you know. They're all still watching the OC, right? James, James Vanderbeek isn't like 58 years old or something now. That's fine. Not the problem is. <clears throat> I mean, I know DR's probably never heard of him for a start. Anyway, that was 2-1 and uh, disappointing and you start to get nervy. But, you know, Captain Marvel himself, Wilfred Zaha, you know, we, we'd made the change as they'd come on for uh, for Jeffrey Schlupp on the left-hand side. It actually struggled a little bit to get into the game and, and similar to the, the kind of things that were happening for him against Bournemouth where he, he was getting possession of the ball but you know, often often with, with players close around him and the, the pace was a bit high for him. and So he was giving the ball away a little bit too much, I think, uh, for, for people to be comfortable with him um, starting on a regular basis at the moment. But there's so much quality there when he gets the ball under control and you know, he was you know, almost initially looked like he started to try and run the ball into the channel uh, down the left-hand side um, and, and just keep it. But he had a couple of players go out with him and, and Mitchell was left unattended. So just knocks it back to Tyreek Mitchell. Lovely ball into Wilfred Zaha and reminiscent of the, the second goal against Brighton where, where KG had played it into his feet. He span and smashed it with his left foot. He spins the other way from the ball from Mitchell and drills it bottom corner with his right foot and uh, great celebration! You could hear him scream. Um, if you, especially if you're watching the version of the highlights without the crowd noise on, um, so he definitely enjoyed that goal, and it just it killed the game, and it just felt right. You know, I, I'd hate it. I'd have hated that if we had been scrambling to keep the two, you know, to keep two one, 
And who knows whether that pressure would have told if Wilf doesn't go ahead and do that. But again, going, you know, we've yes, we've had a little bit of potential fortune if you look at the um, the second goal, but the third goal, very much like the first, was just a classy finish and and you know a fitting reward for a, a terrific performance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely had the better of um, the, the the two in defence. Um, and yeah. sorry, on my virus definition updates just hit it. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 he absolutely had the better of him. Um, and he managed to just get himself an extra yard and to have that shot. And you just got to say that if we had Benteke and probably IU up front as a two, that, that just wouldn't have happened. So I'm, I really hope that he stays where he is for a, a decent part of this season. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a good shout as well. Talking about their defence, I mean Lindelof is 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 you know not the best, is he? But I know this is a fairly common thing for people to say, including a whole bunch of Man United fans. But how the hell Harry Maguire is an eighty million pound central defender? I do not know. Um, and I, I keep seeing people adding uh, to the list of games against Crystal Palace where he's played, and we've just scored an absolute ton of goals. <laughs> I think there's at least four in a row now, isn't there, where we've scored minimum of four goal, uh, minimum of three goals. Uh, so I think it's a three, two fours, and a five in the last four games we played. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Good, 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 good player, good player. Um, so anyway, in terms of talking about player performance, we've mentioned so many already, so probably not too much to, to dwell on here. I picked out talk about McCarthy, who we've talked about already. Mitchell again talked about the sort of heroics from Sacco. Uh, and the improvement in Andros, we covered all of this already. And, um, you know, and I'll, and I'll mention that my man of the match was Wilfred Zaha, but interested to see that Jeffrey Schlupp was, of course, as mentioned already, the man of the match on whoscored.com. Uh, Mike, you've talked about MacArthur already, talked about Wilf as a captain, talked about Jeffrey Schlupp. So just really remains in that sense for you to talk about your man of the match. Well, I was hoping that Yak would get a, a couple of minutes so that he could be my man of the match. Um, <laughs> I can't, no. Seriously, I cannot believe he's your new obsession. Come on, let it go. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it, it has to be Will for me. The fact that he's the fact he was captain, um, the, the speech afterwards showed what it meant to him. Um, yes, Schlupp played played well, um, but you know it showed when Eze came on that I think he probably would have played just as well if Eze was starting there as well. So, yeah, Will for me that is a, a performance. I think I can't remember one that he played better last season. So it's been a fair while since he's been as good as that. Absolutely right. And uh, Clarky, you've talked about Schlupp already, uh, unsurprisingly, because that happens every week, whether he's even played or not. Um, however, you've also mentioned the stats about Joel Ward. So all that remains for you to do is to talk about who your man of the match is. I wonder who it's going to be. Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to surprise you because, I mean, frankly, I'm, I'm amazed that Schlupp was picked as man of the match. I, I, I love him. Um, and I think he had a really, really strong game. But I think you'd have to be looking at it with the kind of glasses on that I've got that to do anything other than make Wilf the man of the match. You know, first match as captain, two goals, including a brilliantly taken penalty. It, it, I just don't see that anyone else is even in the races for this one. You know, it's, it's Wilf all the way. I think what's the, the difference between the sort of who scored racing where Schlupp gets it and, and, and us all giving it to Wilf, I think that's because the statistics don't account for the fact that he's been made captain, 
and and, and a lot of the kind of the inspir- inspirational performance. You, how do you capture that statistically? It's very difficult to do. So, I think that's got a lot to do with it. Um, but yeah, as you say, um, I'm not surprised that Jeffrey Schlup was was up there though, because it was probably one of his best performances in a Palace shirt. So there we go. I don't know if we had a, um, a man of the match poll, Mike, in terms of because um, we got very we got incredibly overexcited on our um, on our Twitter account during the game. I uh, got a whole host of, of, of four word reviews, but I don't know if we actually said who's man the listeners man of the match. Do you know what I was enjoying my barbecue a bit much, and uh, I didn't <laughs> do it, so Dr didn't do it either. So uh, no, but let's assume that everyone would have been pissed off with my choices. Yeah, they usually are, including me. I might have might have given you a bit of a kick in on that in the show last week. Yeah, yeah, um, noted. So, sorry, sorry, sorry about that. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. How did you leave Kuyate out, mate? What's your problem? I'll tell you what, it was Dan or Kuyate. I couldn't put them both in. And I just felt because Dan had been given the captaincy, um, and I thought they were both excellent, that he just um, he just slightly took it for me. But then, you know, allegations of racism and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> dear, oh dear. Dear, oh dear. That's not where I anticipated that going. So let's move on. Uh- <laughs> Uh, so we've got um, going to sort of delve into the uh, the topic I call from the crowd. I'm a bit all my my brilliant topic names they they're not shared with the listeners, are they? It's just for us to look at. Might start publishing our show plans to to show off a little bit. But anyway, so we've got some four word reviews. We might might do you want to pick three favourites each? How about that? There's a list in front of you, and I go if I go first, then you've got time. So probably go down the second half of the list because I'm going to pick from the top half. Probably should have talked about this beforehand, really. But anyway, uh, both Julian Chinnery and Thomas Lopez went for Oh Captain, My Captain, in tribute to Wilfred Zaha, of course. Jess Booker went with Dangerous on the Break, which was very much the theme of how we played. Uh, Pete Windsor went with a delightful Another Freak Result, Ole, uh, which I was incredibly impressed with. A certain Luke Chester went from your defense for Your Defense is Terrified. And finally, Selhurst Exile went for could have been five. Entirely accurate there. Who wants to go next? Well, Mummy White said four words not enough. It was bloody brilliant. But in fact, if she'd have left out that first bit, it was still four words. So um, fair, fair enough. <laughs> James McCormick, solid performance all round. Rob Wynn, Roy Next, England manager. Christian <laughs> Pearson, make Wilf permanent captain. Uh, Edward Poulter, Zahar, now 100 million. Uh, Wheel, man. Let's buy Old Trafford. No, it's cold up there, man. It's cold. Um, CPFC Barbarian, David Moyes' daughter scandal. Fair enough. Um, did you did you see that in uh, in the coverage? Uh, I, because what, they brought it back up, did they? Yeah. So Patrice Evra pre-game, and um, we can talk about this because he did it, and and they had to apologise. Um, he, he, to be fair to him, to a degree, he's, he was talking about basically Wilf not succeeding at, at Old Trafford, and he said there was that thing that may or may not have happened of him and him and Moyes's daughter, yeah. and everyone just sort of went quiet for a couple of seconds, <laughs> and sort of looked around, and then went, yeah, okay, and then moved on, and then there was a little bit of a reference to it later on where they were just like, yeah, we make it clear we're not sure if that happened or not. And then quite clearly, there'd been a phone call later on and they had to read out a statement. It's like, yeah. Wilfred Zaha has never met David Moyes' daughter. As like, we understand Wilfred Zaha has never met David Moyes' daughter. And we'd like to apologise unreservedly for the comments that Patrice ever had made. Absolutely ridiculous. Excellent, excellent. 
Anyway, Chris, um, any that Mike didn't cover for you there? Because he, he did a few. He, he did. Um, so, I mean, Slymax67 cheated by saying, can we play you every week? Um, by adding, removing some spaces. Um, Stuart Cox, methodical and controlled win. David Gibson had Brightoner shitting it. And uh, <laughs> someone called Me and Palace had never a pen, lol. And then in terms of other lols, there was a Ryan Hinton with Evra lol. Um, Leif Anderson's forehead, what brilliant name, but also an amazing tweet, which is banned from pub, lol. <laughs> and lastly, Martin Carter with my captain, our goat, or greatest of all time. Can I, can I say Leif Anderson's forehead, who is a regular contributor with, as you say, an incredibly fine uh, name. I want the story behind that. So if you could drop us an email to hi at backofthenest.com. I'd very much like to know what exactly you did to get banned from the pub. I'd imagine it was, you know, celebrating enthusiastically and there were Man United fans there. However, I'd, I'd like the full story if you feel like sharing. So a few questions in. I'll just fire these off in your general directions, gents. So Mr. Cadbury's Parrot uh, started with our possession stats were low. But our expected goals, one of my all-time favourite stats, was better than Man United. A success of a tactical switch or just that Wilf and Andrus on fire? So we've covered that in the sort of general theory. But if you were to crystallise that, Mike, into a, a single answer, was it a tactical thing or was it the, the, the performance of the likes of Wilf and Andros? I mean, what, what do you think in terms of the expected goals? What's that, what's that key moment? I, I hope it was tactical. I really hope because that is a sign that we could be doing better this season than most of us anticipated. Um, my fear is that at the moment the players are playing absolutely at the top of their game um, and it's more luck than judgment from, from Hodgson, but um, we shall see. Well, there we go. It's a cheerful way of answering that question, isn't it? <laughs> Someone well, on Twitter just replied to Mr. Cadbury's parrot quite quickly afterwards with the answer I would give, which was both. Yeah, yeah, I'd have gone with both. I'd have gone with that safe answer as well, Mike. But you're a renegade. You don't play by everyone else's rules. You play by your own rules. Sometimes not even your own rules. Oh, exactly. Anyway, can, can, can we can we end with Darren Broadfoot's question because I think it'll be a, a good one to ask people. Absolutely, absolutely right. Yeah. After um, watching the game back and watching our formation, without the ball, we look very, very good in this 4-4-2 and just as sharp with the ball. How would you tweak it and what players, if any, would you change? As right now, everything seems to be bang on for once. Don't answer it once. Well, it's really hard because you need to get the players back from fitness. Um, I mean, my answer would probably be put Kuyate in for McCarthy and put Cahill um, or Tompkins in at central defence. And other than that, um, I'd leave it unless other players were absolutely banging on the door. Eze obviously has looked pretty good. We haven't seen anything of Ferguson yet. If he looks good in training, I wouldn't be surprised if he was to get some minutes, although it will take a while for him to bed in. And when PVA is back, I wouldn't be surprised if he's knocking on the door for his place back. But again, both of those players who are there already are going to take some dislodging. Yeah, I mean, it sort of goes into a question that Joe Mo Eagles was was asking as well in terms of how do you integrate Eze and Ferguson? And it's, I think when you're in a position like this, it's a really good place to be because it, the answer is quite simple. Unless Jeffrey Schlupp, for example, deserves to be dropped or has a drop in form, Eberetcha Eze has to be patient and has to wait for his opportunity. Um, similarly, if when Ferguson's back fit, if Joel Ward is still playing like Joel Ward played against Manchester United, 
then Ferguson's going to have to be patient and wait for his opportunity, whether it be a suspension, an injury, or, or, or a drop in form. That is what you want. That's what we've talked about pretty much as the theme today, which is having people ready and waiting to step in and what that does to the people who are in possession of the shirt. Now, I think, you know, if you look at, if, you, if you're looking completely without emotion and, and in terms of team selection, if you look at the right back position, we need someone there who is a bit more of a modern right back, as in can contribute more going forward and, and arguably is probably a bit more secure defensively, stops a few more crosses coming in from the sidelines. But, you know, that's, you know, you mentioned it earlier, Mike, that's sort of almost splitting hairs with Joel Ward because he's doing his job so well at the moment. You know, he's probably up there with the best that he's, that he's played in a Palace shirt right now. Uh, and the more he's pushed, the better it is. And however, you know, you might end up in a position where Eze is frustrated in terms of the amount of game time he gets and, and Ferguson ends up frustrated in the amount of game time he gets. And that will just be the nature of it. And the only way that that happens is if we're playing brilliantly uh, and then we probably won't feel too bad about it. Um, but so there's definitely some patience going to be needed, particularly for the for the younger players and the players that we brought in. But you know, it's a long old season. Suspensions, injuries, drops in form, all of those those things happen. And you know, if you if you're being very much, you know, looking at the last season in particular and saying what Roy was bemoaning was true, then you would argue when we've had drops in form and we've had injuries, all that kind of stuff, the squad hasn't been there to support. You know producing a, a decent level of football, but there aren't any excuses this time with the players that we're bringing in. In fact, we've got to try and bring the squad numbers down. I think before the uh, before the transfer deadline comes along, we're going to have to try and get a few out. So to end the show, I'm just going to mention very much in passing that, um, you know, trying to pick out all the rumours and all that kind of stuff. The Sirlock transfer out doesn't seem to have happened yet, by, but the, the general consensus is that, you know, he's going to join Leipzig. Uh, and Palace are going to get a, a bigger share of any transfer fee than they'd probably have anticipated because all three parties, that's us, Trabzonspor and Leipzig, have, have negotiated the deal. So if that if that transfer goes through, that could have a significant knock-on knock impact in the business that Palace do in the market. The, the names the names were strong, being linked with strongly at the moment. I'll still remain uh, Rian Brewster from Liverpool. Uh, and Said Benarama from Brentford. Those are the two names being linked in particular. We could reason that we're also probably looking in midfield, given the fact that the Gallagher deal went um, went south when we got Batshuayi. So we'll see what, what comes of that. And we also know that um, you know we're looking at players for the future as well, trying to bring this average age down. So it could be a busy window yet for Crystal Palace. Um, and you'd expect players to go out. And particularly if Zaha's playing like that, he's putting himself in a bit of a shop window as well. Um, which we hope very much that uh, that nothing happens in that respect, but there's certainly no strong rumours that he's going anywhere just yet anyway. So, guys, last bits from you, please. Uh, just give me score predictions. We won't talk too much about Everton. We'll just talk about what you think the score's likely to be in the preview. Guys can get into the detail. Mike, what are you expecting next weekend against Everton? I literally have no idea. Um, I mean, so um went on TalkSport for... Uh, Cundy and uh, what's his name on uh, the sports bar and I said it'd be 1-0 in the United game uh, I'm going to go 1-0 again for Everton Mr Clark what do you reckon? I've predicted a win in the last two games um, I've always gone with the same score neither time has it been right third time lucky I'm going with 2-0 Palace Well I've predicted a defeat in the last two games so I'm going to stick with that it's going to be 2-0 Everton and we're going to play appallingly there we go 
Yeah, good stuff. All right, well, thank you very much. That went on a lot longer than planned. Hey, that's been a feature so far this season. But I hopefully the uh, as we settle down and the team settle down, we'll uh, we'll get into a bit more of a, a rhythm with that. So thank you very much for listening and indeed watching if you are doing so. Uh, special thanks to all of you that got in touch as well. Um, thank you very much to Mike and Chris, uh, Mikey to, for producing and Dr for producing the video version. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, that will get you the preview shows. It comes out probably Thursday, Friday. Uh, and of course, like and subscribe our YouTube channel as well to keep up, up to date on all of our content. Uh, you can find us on all platforms simply by searching Back of the Nest. So until next time, come on you palace. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.